Welcome to Tribe Leaders Podcast. From like a pretty, uh, we were a poor family, you know. Yeah. Um, my dad, my dad was a truck driver. My mom was a homemaker, so my dad was on the road all the time. Um, I come from a house with, uh, you know, we had twenty-one different foster kids coming in and out of our house. Okay. So I grew up in a really big family, a diverse family. So you were not adopted. Your mom no, was adopted. So me and my sister. We're from my parents, okay. and then I have a half brother from my mom's first marriage. Okay, and then I have um, a bunch of random siblings from when my dad was a trucker. <laughs> and um, a good time. yeah, all his exes live in Texas, man. That's for real. And um, so, but no, he was very devoted to our family, and he—I mean, he worked to the bone. I mean, this this man worked in, well into his seventies until he passed away. So. Um, so yeah, but we didn't we didn't come from money. We didn't come from anything like that. Um, and you guys were in Milwaukee this time. Yeah, so we were in South Milwaukee, okay. so a little suburb. Of South and your Milwaukee. dad was driving throughout the country. Yeah, I, I, he was over the road trucker. Um, and then my mom's a little five foot four, crazy, you know, Irish woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are Irish. Yeah, yeah. see the McGregor thing. He looks like McGregor. So, it's all comes. Yeah, so I'm Irish and Scottish and English. Okay. So that's, you put that all together, you just get a drunk. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, so they. Um, so yeah, just real, you know, semi-traditional household, but you know, we had, like I said, we had a diverse household. I have two adopted uh, siblings. One, I lost to suicide in 2015. Yeah, yeah, and I, and and I kind of, I I, I kind of talked a little bit of Roy about that, but not too much. He was like, I'm gonna let him explain that. Yeah. And you know, explain that a little bit about that. You know, he was uh, one of the the ones that your mom adopted, or he was living yeah. with you for a yeah, while. Yeah. So. Um, you know, this is really, and I think it's a permanent conversation what's going on in our country today. Yeah. Um, so he, we got him when he was six days old. Um, and I'm sorry, 11 days old. Okay. And we adopted, it took us six years to finally adopt him. It was such a, a fight. The parents, you know, they had to give up their rights, yeah. but they were both in institutes and, and were fit to be parents. So we, we fought and we were able to adopt him. Yeah, your mom was a strong woman. Yeah. Just going through a little bit so, that we just talked about. Um. So, yeah, I mean, she, so, like, we've always been one of those households where, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, you know, you come, you come to the door, you're, yeah. two things are going to happen, you're going to be fed, you're going to get a place to sleep, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, we were one of those households, and, um, but Will, Will struggled a lot with who he was as a person, um, and I think in many respects he compared himself to others. Um, part of it, you know, he, he struggled a little bit cause he was, he was bullied in school because he was black in a white family. Okay. Um, and, and at then, that time, where were you at? You guys were in Milwaukee. Yeah. So he was attending school. In this... Yeah. And, and the school was predominantly white. Okay. Um, so, so, and then he didn't fit in with the black kids either cause he's with a white family. Yeah, so yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah, either sure. too black or not black enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that, that really hurt him and that really bothered him. And him, him and I had a lot of conversations Around so you guys actually talked about that? Yeah, yeah. And what would he um, tell you? I mean, you know, he just always said that he didn't feel like he fit in. He didn't feel like he had friends. He wanted to join the military because they're in the military like me. It didn't yeah. matter. Um, and but Will had a learning disability, so he struggled. Um, he had he had some friends uh, that were in the neighborhood, but they weren't really good friends. Yeah. Um, but he was very he was a very devoted brother he was a very devoted son yeah. and he was a very devoted to his job and he worked at a local grocery store he worked there for several years but they this particular company whenever somebody was close to be able to obtain stock in the company they, they would pull yeah, the plug right and that's what happened to him um i have a story about that company too we can go into that later and how but, old was he at this time um so he was 25 oh so he was grown already yeah, so he, um, him and I are five years apart. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it, it was hard because when we lost, when we lost Will, um, one, I had this little bit of guilt because I wanted to get him in the military so bad, but he just, yeah. he just couldn't. Um, and some things, you know, there's, there's not meant to be. Yeah. Um, and Will always, or always had like this deep respect for people that served and, and a lot like I did. I didn't and that was because of his learning disabilities? No, I think he just saw a value in, 
uh, people that are willing to be part of something greater. But he so couldn't get into the military. But he couldn't because of his learning disability. Yeah. Okay. So, um, anyways, he. But like I said, he was he was just a genuine person and, and very sensitive person. Um, but Will always idolized me, and he always looked up to me. So I had I had all the opportunity in the world to help him, but I was too lost in what I was going through to yeah. help him. Um, so that was, that was like one of those. How old were you at the time? I was, I was 30, 31, oh. I think. I just turned 31. So it's 2015, 37 now. I'm not You were in the military? Um, no, I just got out. I just got out. Yeah. So oh, cool. I was in the military from, uh, uh, January, 2004 to August, 2012. Um, I'd gotten abruptly med boarded, didn't want to get out. So I was bitter. I didn't like have a plan. And then, so then when all that, when that happened, with, yeah. when he went through all that, you were going through your stuff. Yeah, actually, I was I was coming out of it, man. So so um, go back a little bit. Let's go back a little bit. Yeah. So it was because I want to hear from the from when you landed. Where was it when you first got sent out? Was it Afghanistan? Or I was Iraq? in Iraq twice. So when and 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 then we'll and then we'll get back a little bit. But when you got to first time when you got to Iraq, mm -hmm. you know I want to go to that when you're an 18 year old. Were you 18 or 19? I, was, I turned 21 in Iraq. So, so you're 21, yeah. still a young kid. 21, you don't shit. Yeah. Oh, dude, I was so stupid. Dude, don't even know I was an idiot. I thought I was going to be a pro wrestler, man. Come on. Did you? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't think about I didn't know about yeah. a pro wrestler, but... Yeah, but, hey, I, I'm sure that The Rock at 21, they thought it was stupid. Right. And I the damn goddamn right. Rock. Right. Was, no one's laughing now. But what did you think, man? When you got there to that war, you know, and then we'll go back a little bit. What, what, I want to know that first time when you stepped in. You hadn't been to war yet. Mm -hmm. You come from Milwaukee, a small city. You know, your mom, your dad's a trucker, so he's in and out, you know, even though he's a good dad. Your mom seems real strong, and now you're in the whole other country, you know, Dan Newberry. How did that feel? I mean, did you already go through your airport training? This was through our through No, your... not yet. So I um, I went to basic training. I picked infantry. It was just like, because here's the thing. When I, when I joined the military, I went in a delayed entry program. So I actually What year was this that you went in? So I enlisted in September 2003. I I went to basic training January 2004. Okay. Um, so then once I went That's to... That's the hot time. Yeah, yeah. That so was hot time because uh, Iraq was 2000. They had just captured the, Saddam. Yeah, the Twin Towers was in 2000, right? 2000? Yeah, 2001. So, 2001? Um, I was a senior in high school when it happened. And, and this is kind of what led me to the, to the military because 9-11 happened. Uh, me and all my friends at the time we're all a bunch of like backyard pro wrestlers, yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually going. I'm actually going to get trained to be a pro wrestler. So yeah, I actually yeah, got that's trained pretty to be cool. A pro yeah. So, um, so then, but we had made this decision that we're all going to join the military together because no one's going to do this on our turf. Well, you know, girls and college and yeah, everything yeah, else gets yeah. in the way. I was the only one dumb enough to go to actually join. So um, <laughs> that's great. So like, what happened? What happened? What happened was I was. I was, my mom had sent me to go get milk, and uh, the gas station is probably four blocks away. Yeah, where were you living at? I was in South Washington. Still South Washington. Yeah, and um, I had driven all the way up to 76th Street when the Army Recruiting Station was there, right by Southridge. Yeah, 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 I remember it was right by, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the shoe factory. And um, so I had just walked in there like, ugh, let me join the Army. And I was like a recruiter's dream because he was like, all right, son, I'm cool. Sit down here. I got this paper for you. Yeah, he was excited and happy because somebody walked in. Yeah. Because um, those guys are miserable, man. Recruiters, I mean, they're all just miserable and divorced. Yeah, yeah, for guys. sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they – and then when it came time to pick my job, he's like, well, these are your options. I was like, I want to be infantry. He's like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to shoot bad guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. I was, I was really young, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. And you're, and then, you yeah, when you're, you're, you're ready to roll. Right, you're, you know, you're full of testosterone. Yeah, young, you're playing video, you're like, fuck, yeah, I want to yeah, kill some I can, shit. I can, you know. Send me to right. war. Send me to war, sir. Yeah, okay. So then, so you, then go ahead. So then I, I remember, everyone, people have basic training stories. I really don't. I mean, I met a lot of good friends in basic training, but I've been through so much more since basic training. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, when yeah. people talk to me about basic training. How did training, you get like, into, because you were... A paratrooper, right? Yeah, so I... How did you get into that? That was an accident. And, um... Hadn't you been to war already when you became a yeah, paratrooper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had already been to battle the first... <laughs> yeah. So what was the first year, the first time they actually went and touched ground that you were in Iraq or Afghanistan? The first time was January 2005. How was that? That was awful. Right was when you touched on the ground. Yeah. You knew shit was going to be bad. Well... Tell me a little bit about that experience. 
So As that was, was, you all were you then, 21, 22? Yeah, so I turned 21. The day that I turned 21, I fell into poo water along the Tigris River. Um, what the? Yeah. So anyways, yeah. 21, I was drunk at some nightclub. Yeah, so, every, so my whole 20s, I got to tell you, man, I'm going to be honest with you. My whole 20s was surrounded by nothing but death. Yeah. Death and war. That, that's all I knew from the time I was about 30 years old. And how, I mean, because I always wondered, my brother was in the military, yeah. right? He's a cop now. But while he was over there, now I sleep a little bit more. But his first year as a cop, I didn't sleep. I always would have my phone on, my ringer. When he was all over Afghanistan, same shit. I was always worried. That's my little brother. Yeah, yeah. But he never talks about none of that stuff. Sure. I mean, well. So I always want, you know, and, and it's one of the things that I always, and now he's a police officer. And I think it's an, he's an amazing man. Like, my brother's an amazing man, amazing police officer. He's everything he does. But, you know, I've always wondered, like, what is that feeling when you first land there? You're 21. Your family's out of Milwaukee. It's yeah. just, I mean, you got your bros. It's it's surreal. It's not it's not like you, the heat, just the feeling, the sand, the well, dirty underwear. The well, first you're in a third world country, right? Yeah. So you're completely out of anything you've ever known. Um, people here, people here, have no idea how good they have it. Yeah. You you can you can go to any church you want. You can go to any restaurant you want. You can freedom. You. You legit, as much as people piss and moan, they have freedom here. Yeah. Like, I saw families completely, like, I saw families murdered yeah. because of their beliefs, right? And that first tour was in Afghanistan or Iraq? Iraq. So I've only been to Iraq. And um, so it was really surreal, and I was so young. And, I, and I, I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to be honest with you, man, I wasn't grown up enough for that. Yeah. Like, I wasn't ready for what I was going to experience because uh, a dude from um, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'm sorry, but you're sheltered. Yeah, you're sheltered. yeah, you are. You really are. Like, people in Wisconsin don't. Yeah, yeah. They've never, they've never been to, to, you know, walked in the Bronx. They've never been down to yeah. Atlanta. They've never, you know what I mean? They don't, oh, nothing they don't get it. So now yeah. you, you pluck me, my little willy-nilly ass, you pluck me, and you go and you put me in the middle of Baghdad. In the hot, in the in the worst time of the Iraq War, I wasn't ready for it. I, do you, I mean, how do you feel like that? I mean, because bro, I close my eyes and I can only think, you know, the heat, the sand. Yeah. And then because you again, you got your your homies and that stuff, but I'm sure you have those times that you're by yourself or just in your mind, and you're like, "Fuck, what the hell?" It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're full of <laughs> you're full of regret. I, I I there was several times where I was in Iraq my first time, and I was like, "What did I do this for?" And when and when you fired the gun the first time it was just automatic you were trained and yeah I mean it's 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 funny how people re, re, you know react and um, you know I think I think just and I've spoke to the, mili- the military does a good job of just making you um, do things just on instinct yeah they have repetitive training which makes it habit. Um, you know, so they, they do a really good it's job. It's just like fighting your body takes over. Yeah, you're right. And it depends on your line of work, too, because everyone's, everyone's experience is different. You're going to have guys that served and they played Xbox the whole time on a camp somewhere. Um, yeah. And then you have guys like me who we lived in the city amongst the people. Um, How was it to leave all the camp every, every morning? And... Well, the first deployment was much different than the second deployment. So the first deployment, we lived on a, what we called a FOB, a Ford operating base. And... Um, we, you just get up every morning and you have your patrol. And that's schedule. in the middle of the desert. In the middle of the middle of, well, so Baghdad is very urban. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it, so uh, Saddam's regime wanted to mimic America, but he wanted to maintain his power as a dictator, right? But, so Baghdad itself was a very rich city. Like, Neighborhoods. The, they had a lot of, which they would call mahalas, and they had like, um, they had a, a bunch of, uh, Beautiful structures. I mean, we went into mansions with with gold countertops. And Damn. Indoor pools. Like gold and, countertops. Yeah, like there would be gold flakes, real gold. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, it was a very rich place, yeah. um, which made it difficult uh, because for generations the military was training for a war with like Russia, yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. or, or uh, in a jungle somewhere. And here we are in an urban warfare in uh, in a really hot climate. So it that. The landscape itself, you know, posed some challenges, um, and then you take you you add the fact that we're in an urban environment, and then there's that guerrilla warfare. So there's always that worry of what's going to pop out at you next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they started um, introducing more complex uh, explosive devices. So they had IEDs and uh, EFPs and 
which was uh, so you're in a tank yeah. or you're in one of these we were in Humvees man I was in a little Humvee you're so, in a little Humvee and you're just driving yeah. 21 years old yep and then you're just you're white knuckling it all the time just holding on yeah and um, so that's you're always on this constant state of is it adrenaline the Russian the whole time or is there times where you know your your conscience and you well I, you get I think uh, anybody who's exposed to that for a long period of time you get complacent yeah. and you're like oh it didn't happen yesterday maybe, maybe it won't happen today but then the day you say, well, it's not going to happen today, it happens because that's what happened to me. I got out to take a piss and my truck blew up, you know. And when 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 that happened, you walked away from the truck or were there guys in the truck? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so ironically, we were on a uh, checkpoint 515. And again, uh, you're in the middle of the desert. Yeah, I mean, it's Baghdad, right? So we're, Fuck, man. So we're in this little neighborhood um, and we're at this checkpoint 515. It was a long route, ironically called Route Brewers. Um and uh, we were sitting out there for three and a half hours, and there was a there was an IED buried underneath our truck, and then blew up. You didn't know, and the truck was there for three hours parked. Yeah, there was. We were rotating through, but it was something that had been buried and, and radio detonated, so you would have never known. Because they you were, guys drove off when it went off, or so. What happened was, I it, it exploded. I got thrown from the vehicle. Um, I had one. My gun was uh, critically wounded, and then. Um, my uh, my medic, he was wounded as well, and so I like came to. I didn't know what happened, uh, you know. You mean, woke up, or you were? It was just yeah. Quiet. I was face I was face down in the dirt, and then I I'd gotten up, and then my at the time my my leader, he was just frozen. We call it combat frozen, and he was just and that's frozen. just blank stare. Yeah, he didn't know what was going on. I'm sure he thought everybody in his truck was dead. So no shame to him for just being like. Ugh. You know, and you're watching this man just frozen. And then I, so me being a PFC, a private first class, I was yeah. still really young, and I get in, I get in the truck, and I helped the medic get in because his leg was all messed up. And then I, I looked at my friend Carrillo, and he had fuck. So the guy that's supposed to take care of yeah, you, yeah, he's messed up. up. So the only thing I do, we had all these, we had. Uh, um, I remember hearing the like the hisses of the tires and everything because it was all rattled with shrapnel, and the tires were blowing out. And I, it was a straight line. Uh, south to the um, to the aid station, so I just drove it on flats to the aid so station. So you drove it, I you jump, you throw them in the in the Humvee. You can, yeah. There's a story you can Google it. It's, Dude, you, it's, uh, so you throw them in the Humvee and you just start uh, driving. Yeah, I started driving, uh, and then once we got to the aid station, um, I didn't know there was anything wrong with me, but there was like there was blood coming out of my ears. So could you hear that time? Or were it you was it was like it was, it was just. Or you just going with your it was adrenaline, uh, you know. Just I, taking over shit happens yeah, and put yeah. them in. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, it was it was it was adrenaline. So we had got back to the aid station. They had given me I don't know what they gave me, but I passed I passed out and then I woke up in the hospital in uh, the green zone. And then where did you wake up at? The it was the green zone. So there's you're a, still in. You're still, still in Baghdad. Yeah. So I stayed there. Um, I didn't come back home or anything. Um, and then the only time I came home was for R and R for the birth of my first daughter. Yeah. So how was it when you woke up? Like, I didn't. I didn't know where I was. Um, I was so concussed. I was saying random things, and, and you didn't even think about what had just happened. Well, I knew. I knew what had happened, but I, I started asking about people on the truck, and that's when I was informed that, you know, Carrillo had died, and yeah. um, because one and of the, these are guys you spent some time with. Yeah, yeah. Carrillo, he was my like one of my first friends when I got to my unit. And he was inside the Humvee when this happened. He was outside. He was the gunner, so he had stood up in the gunner's hole. To pull security for me, um, and, and that's when it went on. Yeah, damn, that's where I was standing by the truck saved my life. That's the only reason. Because it kind of blocked it. It did, yeah. Because it had it blew up on the. Uh, I was a driver, and it blew up on the uh, rear passenger tire, and so all the ball bearings. How many times did you go out? Um, How many times did you actually get up and just get in the Humvee and drive off, and you don't fucking know if you're gonna die or not? Um, total. Um. Between all deployments, probably, probably like seven hundred patrols. Damn, bro, that's insane. Because yeah. I, I went out. Uh, my second deployment was fifteen months, and I went out twice, sometimes three times a day. That's insane, yeah. man. Because you, those are, and then that's not counting like the major operations we were involved in, or. And then when did you get into the parachuting, and when did you get so into the airborne? So I had gotten back from. That's after the Humvee blew up. Yeah, so we had gotten back from. Uh, I got back from my first deployment, and 
I, by that time, I was a dad. And that was hard. That was a hard... Um, Coming period. back? Yeah, because you go from carrying around a weapon everywhere to carrying around just, a baby. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Um, and that was, that was and hard. constantly looking around and just being with the wife. Yeah. And, and going then, to a restaurant. How do you adjust to that? You don't. And then... It's just like because a mental force. Is it like something that like you just force yourself after yeah, a while? Yeah, because you're around. You gotta go in the bathroom once in a while and think about the shit and then come back out and... Well, because you're around other people that experience the same thing, so it's okay, right? Yeah. So, and I think this is like a missing link that a lot of people don't understand is when you're in the military and you have an operation tempo where you're, you deploy, train, deploy, train, deploy, train, um, it's just, it's like a rhythm that you get into. Yeah. So, I had ended up because I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to get, get a, you know, uh, stay in or get out. But then the military is really good at throwing money at you. So they make you believe that $20,000 signing bonus is a lot of money. So you stay there. When up. you really boil it down, it's like 90 cents a day. You can adopt someone for 90 cents a day. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's what they, that's what the, they essentially do is they, they adopt a Joe. And um, so then they suck you in with bonus money and I decided to stay in. I had re-enlisted, and um, I initially was going to go to Hawaii, but then during that time, they were doing a lot of what's called stop loss. And what year was this? So this was 2007. So okay. then 2007, they did like a stop loss, and then I ended up um, going to my second deployment with, with 3rd Infantry Division, um, and that was 15 months. So that was during the surge. That was... There was a lot that happened there, and, and that know, was where did you go for that one? Um, same place. Same Vegas. place. Yeah. Um, so this time though was a little bit. It was it was very. And when you left the second time, did you what, did you feel like relief because you kind of missed it? I was or, no, I didn't really miss it, but I was angry. Um, you didn't want to go. No, I was angry at what happened. Like I still like would think about Carrillo. I still would think about that day. I just think about other incidents I was involved in. Like and did you ever get like? Did you ever talk to anybody about that? Like, uh, no. I, that, so I, when I tried to talk, when I tried to talk about how I felt about lose the day I got blown up, um, this is actually in a memoir I'm writing. It's a book I'm writing. Yeah, um, we were just talking about that. This man wrote a book. We were just kind of talking yeah, about. Yeah, and um, but at the time. Mental health was taboo, um, and you were viewed as weak if yeah. you talked about it. I remember when I tried to talk about when I got blown up and some of the other things I've seen. Essentially, they told me to stop. You know, I need to grow up. About it. Yeah, 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 I need to grow up and be a man yeah. and go out back on mission kind of thing. So I, I buried it. I buried yeah. all of it. And then when I was second deployment, my second deployment is where I found fitness because it was one of those things where I'm not going anywhere. We're living in this little house in the middle of Baghdad. Yeah. And we had set up this little makeshift gym. And, um, that's where I kind of found active meditation. So I started working out and just kind of like yeah, thinking yeah, through. Yeah. And then I just got to the point where I got reckless. And I didn't I didn't care what happened to me. I had a second baby on the way. So you were just a cowboy. Yeah. So it was, you know, exactly. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Our crew, we're a really tight crew. There's six of us. You guys are ready to ride. And we were, you know, we call ourselves Ace, the Ace Crew. And, um, See, that, that. But that, we, we did our job. We did what we had to do, and we did it very well. And nobody yeah. asked questions. And that was it. And you guys kept our country safe, man. Um, or you guys did some part of it. We, you know, I think ultimately when I look back, um, there's no secret that I'm involved in the um, end Endless Wars campaign. Um, but when I look back at it, I look at it as like, sure, I was serving my country, but more importantly, I was serving the guys that were to my left and to my right sure. because they had families to, to go home to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's really what it was about. And so then after my second deployment, I got put down in orders to go to Alaska <laughs> and I thought like the army was punishing me. Was that second tour though? Was that as bad as the first one? It was worse. It was worse, and you guys were doing a lot more going knocking doors. It was, on. Yes, it was more. It was more offensive um, than the 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 first deployment. I, I to this day, um, I'll never understand why I was there. Yeah. Um, there's a big there's a big part of me that um, I feel like the military stole my youth, 
Not to their fault. I, I made the decision to join. Because you weren't right. You were young, man. You yeah, I mean, 20 some years old. It was my choice. It wasn't like I was drafted. You know, I, I made the choice to join the military. Yeah. And, uh, but I do feel. But still, so, man, you were sold the dream. Right. You were sold the fucking dream. Yeah, yeah, because at that time they had really cool commercials. Yeah. So what 19 year old? I want to be a man, badass. You grew up with G.I. Joe's all right, the life. Right, right. You, you have this masculine background, and then you're yeah. just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, this thing. Um, and then it really happens. And then it really happens. <laughs> and then first one I wasn't ready for. Second one I was like, I'm a cowboy. Let's let's go on as many patrols, as many combat operations as I possibly can. You know, no holes barred. I'm gonna do what I need to do. And um, and how you know when you went into these doors? Because I'm sure you got to see a lot of these families. I think what people don't know is the Iraqi people are the kindest, uh, most gentlest um, people you'll ever. They're meet. welcoming. They are. I mean, they're. I mean, they are. They. One of my interpreters from Iraq finally actually got his visa and was turned up. Ended up being one of my employees at Goodwill. Man, that's for, That's amazing. Yeah, so and you met him. He showed up. He walks in the door and he goes, Daniel. I'm like, You're, what oh are you doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you met this guy in war. Yeah, he was one of my interpreters. Yeah. How the hell did he end up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? So. Uh, that's they insane. usually come here because at some point Saddam did a deal with Ford Motors and he got like a key to the city. So over there they think like Detroit is like oh, the kingdom. Okay. And then what yeah, happens yeah. is they end up coming over to Wisconsin in the Midwest area. But um, I think that's how. But either way, he walked in the door one day when I was. And you met thousands of these people. Huh? Just, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And there's many days we, we wouldn't have eaten if it wasn't for Iraqis. And you guys would just go out there and spend the night out there. You would come back to camp every no, night. No, we didn't have a camp my second go around. We lived in we lived amongst the people. So you would just land in there and just be yeah. out of town. Yeah, we would come. Were you quiet, or it was more of a cover thing? A little bit of both. That's crazy. How old were you? So you were about twenty five, I'm guessing, around this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, mid twenties, and then got back with the. So you never hold held a grudge, you know? Uh, I need to get a little bit more. here. You never held a grudge um, from your guy dying? It wasn't an Iraqi that killed him. It never was. Even, even, if, if, the bomb, was, even if the bomb blew up there? Even, even, right, but you, you got to understand there was an insurgency at the time. So whenever we would capture somebody, they were Syrian. They were yeah. Iranian. They were. I, yeah, I, yeah, there was yeah. never a time where we went and did um, an operation and we had to um, talk to somebody. And they, there wasn't some sort of outside influence involved. Yeah. You know? During that second tour, did you ever, like, worry about dying or not making it? All the time. Or you just didn't give a fuck then? All the time, but I didn't care. It was just like, just go. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was this. How about the cause with the wife, though? You have to, you have to separate yourself from that. Yeah. And those would be like... It was really important or... for me not to be distracted because... I, as, you got to be in killer mode. I, well, I was the driver, so I was LT's driver. Um, so we we're lead truck often. Yeah. Um, and it was my responsibility to keep my eyes open and, and attention to detail. And if I'm daydreaming about home, something could happen. For sure. Right. Yeah. So it's really important that I had to always be on edge. And that's part of my problem when I got out was I'm always on edge. Even to this day, I'm always on edge. Yeah, just looking around. Yeah, I I would. I'm nervous about everything all the time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you've seen me out in public. I always sit back. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I always position myself where I can see everything. Um, but it's just... It was, now, how do you think that's... How do you think that's helped you, though? Do you think that's helped you or maybe made it more difficult? Or um, gave you, do you think it's given you some advantages? Yes. Yeah. You know? I, there's, there's times where I've been... Because with me, I always see, like, a lot of the people around me, especially doing a lot of the social... At first, at first, I looked at it like a disadvantage. Yeah, but then once I realized some of my that's like people that are not hurt are weak. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like people yeah. that are not hurt, they're real weak. I always yeah. notice that. I I found that at times my disadvantages have become my biggest strengths. Yeah, um, your powers. Yeah, and you know, and, and that's so. Then after a second deployment, ended up in Alaska. I and that's where I went to airborne school. Um, How the fuck was Alaska? Man? That was a terrible experience. I bet, dude. Alaska. So no, I I like, but. Because it's cold as hell all the time. <coughs> Love-hate relationship. Um, I'm sure it's... What is it? Isn't it dark all the time there? So we were below the Arctic Circle. I lived in Anchorage, so there's a lot of snow. It's not as cold, but it still gets like negative 20. Yeah. So what you're experiencing right now is very much Alaska. Um, 
So the weather, you still get sun out there? You do, yeah. So the, the summers um, were great because you would have daylight until midnight. You know what I mean? Um, so it took midnight snacking to a whole new level. Yeah. I made some great friends up there. Um, played in a band up there. Oh, that's dope. Um, because it's such a small town. I did some I did some pro wrestling up there for the USO. Yeah. Um, and this is the whole time you were with the Army. The whole time with the Army. Training. This is after your older yeah, deployments. I was now in, you're off in Alaska. Because I had so many deployments. I, I The Army sort of introduced dwell time where you had to stay home so you can function as a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the military was getting keen on the fact that guys cannot continue to go on rapid deployments. They cannot continue to have that Operation Temple. So what and they what year was that when they started figuring that out? This was later on. So this was right after the surge. So after the surge was starting to wind down, um, Alaska's units being light infantry, they were more on the Afghanistan side of things. So when I had gotten to Alaska, everybody was already on a deployment to Afghanistan. I couldn't go because I just got back from a deployment. Yeah. So your dwell time had to match had to match the length of your deployment. What are you doing in Alaska this whole time? So I got there, and initially um, they had sent me to work in the mailroom, and I'm working in the mailroom, and it's full of like, you know, guys that weren't very good soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> they immediately were like, uh, "You don't belong in here." <laughs> um, so then they had plucked me to go uh, be um, a squad leader for the rear detachment and help get these young soldiers that were just coming in trained and ready to go deploy with the unit. Um, and then from there, I, you know, ranked up quickly. Um, we, How long were you in Alaska for? Three and a half years. Three so then, yeah, years? so then I went on a one-year training cycle. Um, I went to airborne school, did all that fun stuff. And then I, uh, I had the... I had the whole like one year training cycle getting ready for Afghanistan, uh, and we were doing an administrative airborne operation. I had hurt my back, and then they med boarded me. They had med boarded me for the. That's 2012, right? Yeah, so they, they had put me through the med board, which I got hurt 110 days later. I was out of the military, out of a job, without a place to live. Right after all that happened, they threw me away like I was garbage. Because I know, and that's one of the one of the things that uh, that I kind of want to get into, and it's. You know, you get out, you do all this shit for your country, you know, yeah. and you just busted your ass, yeah. especially right off of high school. You didn't come out and, and do all the crazy things that a lot of us did, run to the clubs, do the bullshit. No, job. no, I, I, I got my manhood in war. Yeah, you got your manhood yeah. in war, and then you get back, and it's like everyone's living their social media life, everybody's doing their own shit. Yeah, I didn't understand it. <laughs> you know, and then you get back and you're in that situation. I mean, how the hell? Do, I can't even imagine how that would. I so when I so when I got home, um, I got home, sold on um, the pretense that my family would help me, my extended family. You know, like I would, they would help me find jobs. They would, yeah. which, which my sister did. And that's going to kind of lead me into yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. everything that's happened. But, um, but you know, I I thought I'd have all the support and. I remember we had moved into my my brother-in-law and her and sister-in-law's house. He was in the military too. He went to basic training with me. This is right when you got back. Yeah. He had re-enlisted, went down to Kentucky. He had rented his house that he had here in, in South Milwaukee to me. It was a little house uh, that we lived in. And um, But I was really struggling to, to find work. And I remember... What type of work would you look for after a year? Well, I thought... You, you don't know. You don't know. I, like, I didn't know where I fit in. My first yeah. job, I was installing security systems and it was with a company that was like... Uh, they were a really bizarre culture and they... Like, the first time I was there, they were like reading self-help books and here I am. I'm still like technically in the military. I'm on, yeah. I'm on uh, terminal leave and they're talking about their feelings or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, I'm just yeah. like, man, I just got shot at. Yeah, like, you know, like, I'm I don't sure, know what's like, your problem. So... But it was hard for me to fit in, and it was no fault of anybody. Why didn't you ever go the route of like a police officer, like most veterans um, kind of go? Nah, no, that just no, wasn't. I don't have thing. the patience for that. Yeah, nope. Mm -mm. Those guys have a hard enough job. Yeah, and given everything that I've been through, I had the the wherewithal to know that that wouldn't be a good. Yeah, thing. you had enough already. Of yeah, I, I don't. Here's the thing, man. I'm. I don't. Um, I don't want to carry a gun ever again. Yeah, for sure. Ever again. I don't like shooting. I had a friend reach out to me, asked me to teach him how to shoot. The second a civilian popped off around, I was. You're like, like it brought me back. Yeah. It brought me back, and I can't, can't do it. Just can't. So. So then you start looking for jobs. Yeah. You have this amazing resume from the military, but really small nobody civilian. Cares. But nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody knows what it says. Right. 
crazy stuff, risked your life, you went in young, you got all these two, you've been on the last, you know, all that stuff. What do you do then? So there was two instances that really um, played a huge role in everything. And the first one was I had a family member say to me, why don't you just go on welfare? You're not going to be able to find work. You don't have any experience. That's insane to me that someone would tell a a soldier that just... But they, they meant it in good gesture, yeah, not sure, realizing yeah. what, what they said. And then um, the second piece was I went, at the time, I had finally got a job as a funeral director apprentice. So I was picking up dead people and involving them for $10 an hour. Oh, my. And when was this? This this was recent. So this, this was this was two, three years ago. This was about 2013. Okay. Um, April 2013, I believe I got that job. 2014. So and this was nothing new because you've already been. Yeah, because I was, I was unemployed for a long period of time and then I got that job. And then, so then I was doing that, and then I was trying to find something else that paid more. And I remembered, so the same job that my brother worked at, he was still working there at the time, and I went for an interview. Yeah. Um, he didn't, like... Hold on, did you, let's go back, did you embalm some bodies? Yeah. You really filmed these yeah, bodies? Yeah, I, I rebuilt faces and everything. Yeah. How long did you do that for? for? Uh, for two years. Fuck, bro, How? You gotta put food on the table, man. I have kids. I have three kids. I yeah, I guess. I got, yeah, yeah. When yeah, I got yeah. out, I had two kids and a baby on the way. Yeah, I mean, I, but the only worst thing I can say is I worked on a farm. That's nothing compared to some. Yeah. So um, I did that for. So like I was. You did that like first shift. Uh no, and there and was I'm no shift. So I was. So there was no shift. Like I, I just get the shit, get the bodies done. Yeah, I mean, I, New Year's 2014, I picked up like 18 dead people. In the oh, um, so you were actually picking these bodies? Yeah, up. Yeah, I go to homes and wherever. Um, the morgue. Wherever they called you. Yeah, I've got some good funeral stories, too. That is but, um, How about, did you ever, did any of the bodies ever move, or did you ever go Yeah, I got straight? hit in the face with a dead hand one time. What? I went to pick up a lady, and her hand came up, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane, no. man. I could never, I could never in life, you know, and I love my family, but we would go through it, man, because yeah. that's so, tough. So I'm doing that, and then I... I wanted to get out of that line of work because it's a super depressing line of work. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm it, sure it didn't. It, is. it wasn't very conducive to to what I'd already been through in life, and it was exacerbating my post traumatic stress disorder a little bit. And I knew it. And but I didn't blame it on anything, you know, for any of my actions. But so I went to a job interview at Woodman's Grocery Store, and the the manager I've never forget, he's younger than me, had a pencil in his ear, and he said to me that I. So for the role I applied for as a supervisor job, now I, I led men, you know what I mean? Like I've been the war. The and this guy told me that I wasn't worth thirteen dollars an hour. What the? I, I I remember I initially got really angry, and I was like, first of all, why don't you take that pencil out of your ear when you talk to me? <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, this is how I would have responded. So I was really I was I was pretty livid about it, and that was the first time ever I lit up somebody in a job interview. Like, I'm a very professional guy. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. That was very, very deserved. But that 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 went out the window, and I just let him have it. And um, I mean, how could you? This man yeah, must not have seen. He must have not known who you were. Right? Would you? The, he probably just looked at your civilian. My education resume. now. My education now is this, right? He didn't know what I was saying in my resume, and that's my fault. I wasn't articulating the experience that I had. I was a staff sergeant in the army. I did this, this, and this, but the this, this, and this. You didn't know you let it grow. You didn't know what it was. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. So, so hindsight, uh, he's responding, thinking that I just didn't do anything. I was just in the army. Yeah. He didn't know what he's reading. Um, when you're in the military, you get a ton of education. You know what I mean? So you do correspondence courses. You take college courses. You do yeah, all yeah, things. yeah. Um, so he didn't. He didn't know. Um, that's not to say if I didn't see him again today, I'd be like, "Excuse me, I'm not worth what?" Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> But, um, you know, no, no, no. That's crazy but, still to me, man. That's... Right. So, and that was that moment, but that drove home my depression. So I had a real hard time transitioning out. So then I get out and like, I'm in this deep funk. The only thing that I had to my name that I owned was a motorcycle. And, um, I ended up joining a motorcycle club. Okay. And as I'm working at the funeral home in the motorcycle club, they taught me that now they're not like a bunch of, you know, it's not like you think, you know, it's not sons of anarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They thought sure. they were sons of anarchy, but they were a bunch of old dorks. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I had joined this motorcycle club, but it wasn't um, it wasn't a nurturing environment for somebody who's transitioning out of the military because I remember trying to get another job, it was a second shift job, and 
the guy's like, well, you shouldn't have anything that interferes with club activities. Like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. taco night. Like taco night? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, for sure. so I ended up, after about a year of, of uh, monkeying around with those yahoos, I ended up um, I ended up leaving that. I worked in a kitchen for a little while um, as like a sous chef, and then I left that. But before, like in the middle of the time that I was with the motorcycle club, and this is July 2015, um, I never felt more worthless. Yeah. Um, all of my family had pretty much abandoned me. I and this is after you did the tour. This is after everything. And I couldn't get any, I couldn't find good employment. I was making 10 something an hour. I was bankrupt. My cars yeah. were getting repoed. Um, like the worst of the worst shit was happening to me. And I, I mean, Dude, I can only imagine you raise, you risk your life, you leave the family to go to war, and then you come back to that shit. Yeah, it's hard, man. You, like, you know, it's not. This shit's happening every fucking day. Yeah. So I didn't know who I was anymore. I went from being a staff sergeant in the army with all this respect and all this that I built, and then it's I'm nothing when I get yeah. out. I'm getting told I'm not worth X amount of dollars. I'm getting yeah. told I should go on welfare. I'm. I'm with a bunch of yahoos that think Taco Night's more important than supporting the <laughs> yeah, family. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like. It was just a disaster. And then I remember I was I, I had started pushing my wife away. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just making really terrible decisions. I'm spending all my time in the bars, these yeah. little corner bars. You know, that's a sure, yeah. toxic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, try it now. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't remember. I left work one day. Um, that's the you left the funeral home. Right? Yeah. And I, I was after picking up dead people all night. And I remember I had picked up. After picking up dead people, after you just seen a whole bunch of people. Yeah, and then um, I I drowned myself in alcohol, and I uh, I started sending goodbye text messages to all my loved ones. So I'm sitting in the kitchen in the in the funeral home, and um, you're in the funeral. I'm in the funeral. We're living in a little two bedroom apartment to the funeral home. Oh, so you're connected to the funeral home. Yeah, it's literally right down. Are there bodies in there at this time? Um, that one. That wasn't like an active prep room, so it was just for a show. Okay. Uh, but they would just do services there. All the time, there was yeah. dead bodies there all the time. Yeah, so I'm, my kids would walk past dead bodies, they didn't care. Like, she did, yep. You know, but... Uh, wow, that's insane, yeah. man. So, um... And now you're thinking about your own. I, You know what? So I had, I was ready to go. I had a bottle of flesh roll in my hand, and I was ready to go. Yeah. So that was it. So I started to take pills. I, because of those text messages I had sent to my sister, she told my wife. My wife called 911. Luckily for me, the Hills Corners Police Department was sitting in the parking lot. And they burst in the door. They and not just came in. They just came. No, they came in. They, they had reasonable cause because yeah, 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 yeah. So they burst in the door. They took me down to the VA. Since then, um, I got medical treatment. And... Um, the good thing was, oh, there's a lot of individuals that go to therapy or whatever, but I knew that I needed help, and yeah. because I wanted it, and I was willing to put in the effort, so I got I got out of what I put into it. And um, and do you think that you got you you got led to that moment from everything, from the war, from everything you went through, or was it just because you came back and there was like nothing, no support? It was a mix. I was, you know, I you know. Constant, constant nightmares, constant panic attacks. And this whole time, you're still thinking about your brother and all that happening. With this, so is... so now my I'm going through all my stuff. So now I'm getting support, and I'm working on myself, and I'm starting to. And then Will loses his job. And this is why you're going through your shit right now. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm on my recovery. Christmas time comes around, so December seventh comes around, and. We, Right before that, my brother had lost his job because Woodman's fires people right before they're able to get started yeah. in the company because that's just who they are. Yep. And um, I hope they hear this too. Yeah, yeah, sit yeah, down we'll, with them just, yeah, we, we put but, out the um, truth here, so it will be out. So um, they do some weird point system or whatever. They, they That's funny you say that because I was at Woodman's the other day, I swear to God, and there was a truck, I, a trailer that drive by me. I don't even know this or now I won't go anymore, but the trailer drove by me and it said, uh, it said, own. Owned by the owned by uh, employees, I think it said. Yeah. And I even asked my wife because we th- this was like a couple of days ago. Right? It's funny that we were talking about when I looked at it, and I was like, "How the hell does that happen?" I was like, "How does that work?" 
employee owned. So they, they that, because it says employee owned. Yeah, they sell stocks to their employees. So there's a couple of companies. And it's interesting now that you say you know. But owns. um, but they just treat everyone like garbage. Yeah. And um, so they had some weird points, and they fired him out of technicality because he uh, punched in early to go back to work for lunch. That's that's what got him. Oh. Out, you know, and um, which is if I have a dedicated employee, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, but whatever. Bad leadership, right? Exactly. So then he had tried to find more work, and um, and then he had uh, was was he one of the people you text that day? No, no. Um, I tried to shield him from anything that I was going through because you were a zero. I was a zero, and um, I would you know lend him money if I had it. Yeah. So to Um, you, even if you didn't have nothing, you still try to keep that. Yeah, and. so then he he had went down to uh, Shooters and Racine and took his life on December seventh. Shooters was that um it's a gun club. Oh, he went in there, yeah. Yeah. rented a gun. Yep. Um, he had made sure that I was the one that they contacted. The only phone number that he put, um, the only phone number he had bring in his wallet, and he had put my number and my wife's number in his wallet. That's all it was in, in his ID. That's it. That's it. And the cash he had to pay. I still have the wallet. And I still have the money that's in the wallet. And he had the names he had wrote yeah. down. And then, so we had, um, and then I went to his apartment, and he had everything packed up. My mother went before and saw that everything was packed up, asked him where he was going. He said he was moving. How long ago did this happen from when you had already started sending text messages? Six months. Six months, yeah. So then, um, because my issue was in July. And you think you were going up like this or you were just... So I'm getting back in the gym. I'm getting back in the gym. I'm doing my thing. And then... uh, So then... This is where the 22 mile walk comes from. Okay. Um, My... uh, So my brother was an outdoorsman. And when I got out of the military, I had a rucksack. And he really wanted it. I'm like, yeah, you can have it. I'm not going to use it anymore. I'm not going to work. Um, He put all his stuff in there. I still have it in my garage with his stuff in it. Wow. Uh, I walk with it every year. Yeah, that's, and, that's um, pretty cool. So he, so then he, uh, you know, he left a video for me to watch explaining everything. <laughs> he left the video yep. before he did that. Yeah, he planned it, and then um, so that I, I, and this really, this really is something that, and this is kind of explains why I am the way I am about our current climate in our country. Yeah. One thing he said in the video is he couldn't take all the ugliness in the world anymore and how unkind people are to each other for no particular reason at all. And your brother was a nice guy. He really was. And he saw all of this that's going on now before we even did. It's just crazy to me. So, um... And he, how did he, he left this on a phone, he left this in a video, or how did he leave this for you? He left it on his, a flip phone, old school flip phone, yep. And, and he watched uh, it? Yep. Fuck, man. And then, um... So then I, I stewed on that for a really long time. And so then August, like, and I, and I, when that happened, um, it was a wake-up call. And I remember speaking at the funeral. I was like, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know. Like, you had just went through your episode. And a lot of people didn't know. Ago. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know. And... Um, so then that's when I decided, like, you know what? I'm going to start saying something. I'm yeah. going to start talking about mental health issues. Why is this yeah. a thing? Why is this? Why is saying that you're in pain? If you break a leg, you can tell everybody you broke your leg, but your fucking heart's broken and you can't tell yeah, people yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, That's wrong. Yeah, you have fucking anxiety that's driving you nuts right. and nobody wants to listen. You know, and so I'm sorry if I'm swearing. But no, I'm <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but that's, that's, that, and that bothered me. So, um. And did your brother have any, like, uh, issues, like, mental issues? Was he known for anxiety? No. No, he was just, he was just really sad. Yeah. That's some shit. He was just really sad. Did he have any kids or anything? No. No. Wow. He struggled with long-term relationships because he worked third shift. He didn't have much of a social life. Hell of a pool player. Was he? I would never play that man in the pool. Mm Mm-mm. That's (laughs) You about to lose all your money to play him. And, did, <laughs> and with him, did, he, did you ever would have known? Even with your talks that you had as, you know, when you were teenagers and you guys talked? No, because Will, even being my younger brother, at times he'd give me wonderful words of wisdom. I remember when I was hanging out, I was hanging out with those losers in that morning. 
Yeah, he's like, what'd you call him? I mean, he's trying to call him out. He was like, what are you doing? You, he was, yes, he was like, you're too smart for this. He's like, what are you doing? You watch too much Southern Anarchy? What are you doing? And he's like, he's like you look like an idiot. You know, and he, he yeah. called me out on it. Yeah. And um, he gave me, he was as young as he was. Will was wise. I mean, he was wise, He was more wise than people gave him credit for. Yeah. And um, so all this shit, man, you know, because all these things that happen, that's crazy, man. Your whole story is just insane. And to me, the only thing I hear is like power. Because with me, it's like when I hear a lot of like issues like this, like you have a lot of power. Like you're just your power is just building from all this pain. It's like how how are you turning all that? You know, because I'm sure that now you know you, your I think your relationship with your wife is better. You're a better father. I'm sure a lot of relationships are better. But it's a constant battle, which I'm sure you can agree. You know how do you how do you use all that to for it to turn into power? You know what I mean? It, or for like for example, I always tell people because when I was young, I, I got my own story and all that fucked up stuff. But yeah. you know, I use all that for a power, like to either help my clients as a sure. social worker, just to help people. Even on my Facebook posts, a lot of things. I, I wake up early every morning. I try to motivate people and use it. How do you do it? You know, because you you have a way. Your your power is on a whole other level. You know, how do you plan on it or how are you using it, especially with Live 22 and things you're doing? You know, how do you grab all that, bro, and keep going? Like, how do you think, grab all that and still keep I think, going? I think, uh, you know, things like Live for the 22, this is just tools. There's tools yeah. in my toolbox. Um, but I think it's, if you can share uh, your experiences with people, that educates them a little bit. And it gives them a little bit of a nuance that they can carry forward. Um, and then they can apply to their own lives. Everybody, everybody's unique. Everybody has like a really, everybody has a, a story. Everybody has pain that they've experienced in some way, some more than others, whatever. Um, I think the thing is I don't look at it as power. I look at it as an opportunity to help someone um, that may be experiencing the same thing. It gives them some, a tool for their toolbox. Yeah, you know and, I mean? and for that person that's you know whoever's watching us out there that it doesn't have to be specifically someone that's a veteran, someone that's just out there. We're getting out of COVID, man. Shit, yeah, people are in dark look, places right now. There's, there's right, thirty nine percent of the business in the state of Wisconsin are failing, right? And people, so, but people are scared to talk about. They're scared to have these conversations. They should talk about they should the anxieties. Like me and him, you know, the camera guy Gomel. You know, we talked about that on the way here. We were talking about my anxiety. I'm like, dude, my anxiety's been, I've been working a lot better. My business is doing really good, but my anxiety is still over the top, and I'm still going through my stuff. I called the doctor the other day. I said, hey, I think I'm going to have to go talk to a psychologist or somebody because my anxiety is really, but people are scared to have those conversations. They shouldn't I, be because, you know what, uh, and this is something that I've said uh, many times in the past, whether it be at speaking engagements or just in conversation. Yeah. The most, the most courageous thing you could ever do is tell someone that you need help. The most yeah. selfless thing somebody can do is listen. Yeah. You know, and that's a perfect marriage. And that's how, that's how things end up getting better. We can't continue to bottle up issues. I know the pandemic's a hot topic right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the worst thing we're ever going to go through. No, not at all. But right now it's not the best. Yeah. And there's people out there that need help, right? So talk about it. Um, and that's and that's really when I lost my brother and after everything I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna talk about it. Yeah. If you want to pass judgment on me for talking about my broken heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's what's going on in your life? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you upset that I'm talking about it? For sure. Why are you so gives them, it, it puts pressure on them to talk about their problems. But you know how it is, man. It's like most people are like the rough guy. We got the tattoos. These guys are doing their thing now, and and, and most people see all that and they. No, I, I look generations, especially in men. Right, men are always afraid to talk about their feelings yeah. or whatever. Men, you know, we have a lot of problems, and we're just yeah. not. We're, we're, we're somewhere along the line. We're told we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but we are. The times have changed. We're allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Because we can't be better fathers. We can't be better sons. We can't be better brothers unless we talk about these things. Because you know what? I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. And I wasn't a good son. Until I decided to work out my problems. Yeah. I was pushing everyone away, right? I think the best thing I ever did was open up and, I, and, and bring them in. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um, those things have led me to, to things that I didn't think were possible. 
us sitting here today in my dining room talking about these things, if you would have asked me five years ago that, do you see yourself doing this? And I would have told you no, and I would have laughed at you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? yeah. uh, but I think the best thing you could really do um, in any time you're, 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 you're in that dark place is just reach out. Yeah. Right? Get, get help. There's, there's, now, it's your responsibility to, to put in the effort, but it's out there. And how do you put that effort in? You just know when you uh, when you feel like it's like that? a Nike commercial, man. Just do it. Just do it, right? Stop. That's what I try to tell people, man. Stop. People are so afraid. It's like I. So now I counsel people on how to start businesses, okay. right? Everybody is so afraid to 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 take that step to make themselves better. Yeah. You people, it's it's amazing to me. People are not afraid to make take a step to make themselves worse. Yeah, 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 for sure. But to make yourself better, it's oh god, I don't know about this. Yeah, I think about that. It is true though. It's really easy to make yourself. It is worse than so now with the Lift Twenty Two. Where's we had the coffee? Where's the Lift Twenty Two? We got tell us a little bit about the Lift Twenty Two. You know what it what it stands for? What you're doing? So you Lyft, got anything coming up? So let me so Lift for the Twenty Two um, started because of, well, I started Twenty Two Fitness. Talk about Twenty Two Mile yep. Walk. So August two thousand sixteen, I grabbed that rucksack from my brother's stuff and I, I did a Twenty Two Mile Walk. I was like, hey. Mental health issues, veteran suicides, up to 22 uh, veterans sure. a day, blah, 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 blah. It's also a huge issue within the uh, within our general public. You know, became yeah. an advocate for mental health. Um, and then I started a free fitness class in the community. Initially, I started it where it would just be veterans. But then my brother wasn't a vet, but he suffered too. And he ultimately, we lost him because of it. Yeah. So I opened it up to the entire community. Um, that went on for... A while, and then to June 2017, I started. And I always see the people on Facebook. What's up, Dan? Post your workouts, man. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that June 2017, um, I was it was like a perfect storm. I wanted people to know about my free fitness class, and I was I had the full intention of just selling these shirts locally. Um, and the 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 thing I'd always say in my class was, "Hey, we're going to work out together. We're going to sweat together. Yeah. Uh, we're going to become unbreakable together, right?" So I came up with these shirts and said, "Unbreakable on them." And now that it stuff's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so it was like this perfect storm. The shirts went viral. That led me to Lift for the 22. Lift for the 22 was started by a gentleman named Carter, Carter Davis, and he was out of Beaverton, Oregon. And he just wanted, he had this concept of giving free gym memberships for veterans. So here I am in gym teaching free fitness classes. I hosted a fundraiser for him. So he met me uh, March 2018. We did this huge fundraiser. From there, he's like, dude, this class is awesome. Yeah. We're a national nonprofit. Why don't we take this class on tour? So I did a national tour. Um, and then throughout the national tour, uh, Carter was already ready to kind of like step away. He was yeah, so that's you stepped in. And he was like, I would like you to take over the organization. So I did. Um, admittedly, when I took over the organization, it was a huge struggle. Um, there was just a lot of moving parts uh, yeah. that, that needed to need attention. Um, and then... So, like, 2019 was when I really took it over. I didn't get to do much in 2019. And then I realized, um, and then I got asked to do the charity fight and all that, and I did the charity fight, and then... Are you going to do another charity fight, man, an old-timers fight? Man, I don't know. Man, old-timers I don't know. I, I really shouldn't. You know, I got I got issues. Yeah. I got I got medical issues that, you know, I, I probably should never fight again. I, yeah. I probably should never get another thump on the head, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. it is... So right now, are you so you, you these so, are on sale. You can find these. So yeah, we do fundraisers. Um, we sell clothes. We sell stuff for fundraisers. Because of the pandemic, we really had to pivot on how we raise money. Because typically we would do a tour, right? Yeah. So typically we'd go to these gyms, uh, whatever gym, and we would raise X amount of dollars. Our goal would be like right. five thousand bucks. We would take a piece of that five thousand dollars. We'd buy X amount of gym gym memberships from that gym, and then we put some back into the mission so we can continue on to new events. Pandemic happened, shut us down. Gym shut down. Couldn't do anything. Yeah. So I decided that, you know what, let's relaunch the apparel that we normally just sell um, at, you know, events. And let's let's put it in the store. Yeah. So then I met Frontline Defender, which is in Southridge Mall. And I, they were a struggling store. They needed traffic. So, so let's bring them in, yeah. Right. So I put my stuff in there and started generating traffic to that store. So now they even grew into a bigger store. That's and then, amazing. Um, every so often I'll do a limited time coffee. So, cause who doesn't like coffee? Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, it smells amazing too. Yeah. So then that's, that's where that came from. Live for the 22. Um, 
So what's your next thing, man? What's your what's what's next for Dan Newberry, man? I can't really talk about it. No, we got some top secret stuff. To me, I'm interested. How old are you now, man? I'm be 37 next week. Oh, damn, you're still young, man. Yeah, I got time. Yeah. You're still young. I got time. I thought um, you were like 40. Not because you look 40, but your no. story. Well, you would think, right? You would think yeah. I've lived 50 years. Um, what do you got planned on? How do you feel? So, I, I'm not going to lie, the pandemic did, did, did me in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pandemic um, did me too, man. I, um, so, I had a lot of injuries coming into 2020. Yeah. And the, so COVID-19 hit. And it really gave me an opportunity to, to become a slug on the couch a little bit, yeah, yeah. which yeah. I, I kind of needed. Yeah, for I kind of sure. needed it. But then once I'm ready to get back out there and go back out, I wanted to and I couldn't. So yeah. that really bothered me that I didn't have that control. Yeah. Um, I am working on something uh, here in Milwaukee County okay. um, with another well-known organization that could potentially be a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, so you're doing amazing then. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're keeping that one close to our yeah. chest um, until the, the ink is dried. But um, and, and, and that's kind of the whole, you know, and that's kind of the whole point of the whole tribe leaders and getting that power out of all that stuff yeah. we talked about tonight. And Yeah, I mean, now my biggest thing is, um, not, not aside, you know, I'm always going to be a mental health advocate. I think you, you can't. I think you can't serve the community and, help and lead others unless you take yeah, care of yourself. Sure. So, um, one thing that I'm really heavy in right now, as you know, um, I'm a director for the Veteran Business Outreach yep. Center. So I, I help a lot of veterans start businesses, obtain capital, learn how to write a business plan, I educate them on those next steps. Um, so my main focus is to continue to help uh, people. You know, not with handouts, but empowerment. Yeah. I want people to be empowered. Sure. Um, nobody is destined to live a life where you're punching a clock for somebody else. No one's yeah. destined to live a life where you should feel like you're worthless because you're you're not. Like yeah. you, you're, you're. Did just, you ever connect with like any other veterans yeah. while you were going through all? Like when you were, you know, when you came back and you were no, at the war. Did you ever connect with any I of those have. groups? Or I have. I, I have some really good veteran friends that I work with. Um, that or do you feel like now it's easier because people are more open to talk about mental health than they did a couple of years? Because even if it's only been four or five know, years, I, the change is I, different. I would be honest, man. It took me. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I try not to. I, it took me to say something for yeah. some people to come out of the woodwork. Yeah, for sure. I bet. Like there, there was individuals that there were individuals that made fun of me at first, and then they were like, "Fuck!" And then they messaged me and said, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to send you." Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, and that's just it. That's, that's what it's about for me. Like no matter what my career is doing or, or whatever, like as long as I, as long as I empower somebody to like get help or better themselves or become yeah. an entrepreneur or. And I know a lot of military vet men that need to hear the story because they are still doing like what you're saying. They're just quiet, <clears throat> playing tough guy. And it's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not like, there's no, look, there's no prize for, for, for feeling like you're, you know, super prideful. Yeah. You know, there's you're not gonna get a prize in the mail for that. You're not. Yeah, for sure. And, you know. And and one last thing, man. What's one message that you would put out there to that that one person that? And we'll talk about veterans now because we're we're talking yeah. that to that one veteran that's back already. Or no, let's make it better to the one that's the 18 year old guy that's watching this right now that doesn't want to go to college and is thinking about going into the military, you know, what's one message you would tell them that they're already committed yeah. that would help them, you know, kind of guide them through that or maybe after they're done? What's one thing you would say to that, to that Dan again, that 19-year-old dad, 20-year-old dad that signed up, is ready to fucking kill sure. and be a cowboy? So the military, the military is a great stepping stone. Um, it gives you a lot of worldly experience that you cannot get sitting in the classroom. Yeah. It gives you, it makes you culturally diverse and um, it presents a lot of opportunities that you'll never get anywhere else. But it is not the only chapter in your life. It is merely a stepping stone. It is, it is no different than if you're going to get a community, if you're going to go to community college and get some education there or whatever. Yeah. This is a form of education. 
it's okay that you want to serve your country, but don't act like it's the best thing you're ever going to do in your life yeah. because it's not. That was the mistake I made. When I originally joined the military, I thought that I was going to do it for 20 years. That didn't happen, and I didn't have a plan. Um, don't get suckered into the, to the bonuses or anything else. Get what you can out of the military and get out. Yeah. Get that experience and get out. There's no harm in that, but it's not going to be the only thing. It's not going to be the best thing you do in your life. When I was riding in that police car that day, when the cops, when the police saved me and they brought me to the VA, the police officer said to me, the uniform you wore yesterday, you're better than the uniform you wore yesterday. That's what he said to me. I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what he meant by that. Now I do. And that was the guy that drove you to the VA? Yep, that was the police officer that drove me to the VA. He's like, you're worth more than the uniform you wore yesterday. He was a veteran too? Yeah, he was a national guard or something. But, yeah. He, and I, didn't, I remember when he said that to me, I was like, man, what's what's with that? No, I get it. That shit stuck. Mm -hmm. That's crazy, man. I don't wear that uniform anymore. Yeah. I served my country. I did my time. But I don't wear that uniform anymore. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. Did you get a lot of awards while you were overseas? Oh, you get to give me awards. <laughs> I mean, I got my... You, you know, wear them all the time? Yeah. <laughs> I have one award displayed in my house, and it's right there. Yeah. You know, that's it. That's... I've got my I love me walls out in my garage. But yeah, for sure. It took me forever to put that up, though. Yeah. It, it really did. Um, I'm not one to go to Applebee's and ask for the free steak or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a big part of me that uh, I'm always going to be proud of what I did in the military, but I don't want that to always be my identifying mark. Yeah. You know? Thank you for listening to Tribe Leaders Podcast. Today we spoke to Dan Newberry, who served eight years as an airborne infantryman and deployed twice to Iraq. Dan was awarded the Purple Heart after his Humvee was struck by a roadside bomb. And now he lives in Milwaukee, guys. If you see him, make sure you say hi. If not, make sure you look for him on social media, Dan Newberry. You can search for him on Instagram and Facebook. An amazing guy with a great story. He's got a delicious coffee that he has out there with his company, Fit22. Doing a lot of great work. Again, thanks for listening. Make sure you guys follow us and tune in for the next one. Take care.